And I will also tell you what I will speak about. But let, just to let you know how I came to talk about this, because everything began in 1997 with Jackie Pullinger. We had a conference in Leipzig, and this conference, we were about 2,000 people together, and it was a wonderful time of worship, and Jackie Pullinger came to the front, to the stage, and she said, while you are worshipping and such wonderful music, oh, similar words to that effect, I hear the cry of people, and I thought, oh, Jackie, that was just really off. You really destroy our beautiful worship. We had such a wonderful time. For me, that was a real downer. And then she started with the people, I hear the cry of the lost, the drug addicts. And I said, Jackie, are you depressive or something? And then she continued speaking about this very message. God hears the cry of each one. And why she, while she was talking, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and said, Jobs, you are actually missing something really important. Because in that time, we'd just established a church, started building the kingdom of God here. We evangelized a lot, but I realized I was missing something. We were missing something. And so she was speaking about the encounter with the mercy of God and how many people do not hear this cry of lost people. And so I started thinking about this and we started seeking God and God started speaking to us. And he said, if you really want to serve me, you have to get to know my mercy. And, and so this actually gave birth to a message that I've held many, many times now. And this message was called, God Hears Your Cry. So you all know this message. We even had posters and, and banners here all over tubing in God Hears Your Cry. But I will include that in my message today as well. But before I do that, I would like to read the word of God to you from Mark 10, 46-52. And that is the story of the healing of blind Bartimaeus in Jericho. And so they came to Jericho, and when he left Jericho, his disciples and a great multitude, there was a blind beggar sitting by the roadside, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So that was our problem, even here in the church, in our own lives. Because we had prayed a lot, we had evangelized a lot, we were willing really to be used by God. But somehow, we were more busy with ourselves than really with the need of the people around us. And we knew, somehow, we are focused on ourselves. And somehow, 
the Lord wants us to really serve people, serve the poor, the needy, the broken ones, to follow them. And at the same time, we knew that we can only serve Jesus if we do exactly what he did. Now, the question was, how much are we willing actually to invest? That was our question. How much are we willing to invest? And there's another story that you might have read before. That is the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. And in that story, you can read how Jesus uses the disciples to feed the 5,000. They then return the empty baskets, and then they are filled with bread and fish, and they run around, they share the food among everyone. Maybe that's a different perspective on the story. But then there's the 5,000 people. So the first row, they share the bread. Second row, they share the bread. Third row, they still share the bread, and they run and get new baskets. You can see that in Matthew 4. So he broke the bread, gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And then the baskets are empty again, they run to the back, and they need to fill up again, and they again go to the first, second, third row, and somehow, at some point, they look up. And then there is quite a strange picture, because the first three rows, the people are lying on the ground, full bellies, and can't even eat anymore because they're so stuffed. But those in the fourth row, they are standing there, and their eyes are huge. They are crowded with hungry eyes, because they did not understand what was going on. The first three rows, they were always given the food, but the third, the fourth, fifth, and sixth row, there was nothing left for them. And that's a story for what we are experiencing here. We are quite satisfied. We have had enough. And we, in our lives, we had enough at that time. But then we don't see the people who are standing in the fourth, fifth, and sixth row. Maybe we understand about missionary organization, but we don't understand what it means to God. And somehow the problem is that we are missing something because we are not touched and moved by God's mercy. And that's also a move and a touch of the Holy Spirit, the same as it is an experience to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if the mercy of God comes and touches you, and now that was our problem. We were not touched by God's heart. And the question was, how were we able to do that? Were we really willing to put everything on the line? Were we truly willing to be touched? Were we really willing to invest everything? And that was God's question to us at that time. And I still remember how the Lord said, I am looking for people who are willing to make their lives count. So, you know, just uh, rewind your life for 20 years. To students, people at school, but also people who were right in the middle of their job. There were engineers, uh, there were educators, there were people involved in, in special youth education, psychologists, doctors. And the Lord started speaking to them. And like many of you who have just finished your training now and you've started jobs, you're doctors, psychologists, uh, independent craftsmen, business people, somehow we can rewind a little bit. And that's what happened then. And the Lord asked us, how much are you really willing to invest? Maybe you're all established, you've bought houses, you've got everything. 
You've uh, set down everything, laid the tracks as you do it, you know, some families there. But God was asking, who will truly hear our cry? Who is truly willing to invest their lives? And I believe this is God's question to us at any time, to each one of us here. Who of you is willing to go? And we knew we had to uh, simply get apart for a time and seek God. So we took our entire leadership team then and some others. And we decided to go to Minsk, uh, to the uh, Sea of Minsk. And for two weeks, we were there seeking God. And for two weeks, we did nothing else, morning, evening, and night, waiting for the Holy Spirit and allowing him to talk to us. We had left behind everything. And we said, Holy Spirit, we don't just want to do something, but we want to hear what you want to do with us. We want you to be able to touch our hearts. And that was the time when the Holy Spirit started speaking about Belarus and also South America. He started giving us a burden. Not just, you know, thinking about what might happen, but when it is God's burden, you start weeping about what's on God's heart. A mark of when you are touched by God's mercy in his heart is when you start feeling the pain of God concerning a certain situation. And I still remember how we felt God's pain about the state of affairs in Belarus and Russia, the drug addicts there. And the Lord said, I want to bring forth a new generation. And we felt the pain of God about street children. I remember there was a book at the time about, the, about street children. And people talked about the fact that there were 80 million street children worldwide. I know there's different definitions of what street children can be, but back then we didn't know anything about it. Now estimates say that it's 100 million or even 120 million street children, more than Germany has actually inhabitants. Children who have their very focus of their lives is on the streets. Children who live in bus stations, railroad stations, in bus stops, who sleep in cardboard boxes, who have to live in underground tunnels. Most of them are addicted to glue or they, they sniff glue and their brain is just clogged up by drugs. Children who are abused, victims of sexual abuse. We've seen that happening, prostitution right on the street. Children who are sold and whose organs are harvested. And organ trade is just a flourishing business. And so we've got 100 million street children and each of them has a name. They're there. Names in this time. And this is what the Lord gave us a burden for. We were weeping and experiencing that pain. And the Lord said, who will go to these nations? These are nations that span the world and that go around the globe. Who of you is willing to make their lives count? And one of them, yeah, he's listening right now. Our friend, Ruben, Ruben Kuknecht. He was an elder in our church. And God then led him to, led him to Buenos Aires. He was um, uh, in a bank, a professional banker. But God led him to South America. And there he started 
serving and started establishing contact and we began communicating again. And I could say something about each one here. Today he's our international director. And I don't know when each one of you actually did go out, but in my message I will really try to give even your your jobs and training, your professions, because sometimes the names and missionaries do not connect to their story. And so if I look at Elke, for instance, Elke Steinmetz, the Lord called her to South America. So these were people who had to learn a completely new language, who had to get used to a new culture. They were people, and God used them. The Lord led Elke to Paraguay, and there she started working with the team amongst street children. They lived there in the cardboard boxes. They went to the terminal. I used to preach about this a lot. Each one of the people who went had their own background, and they invested their lives. And then the Lord started speaking to us in Minsk, and he said, I want you to begin sending people to South America, and I want you to plant a rehab center in Belarus. And the story of the rehab center in Ostrovtici and in Svetlagorsk was that the Lord had led Charlotte and myself to that city in a supernatural way. And we got to the city. We didn't know anything about it. It was called a forbidden or closed city. We didn't know anything about the cemetery that was growing each day. Because at that time, Ostrovtsi or Svetlogost had the highest per capita rate of drug and AIDS victims in all of the former CIS states, and people were dying like flies. And the Lord spoke to us and said, start a ministry there. And the mayor and the doctors there invited us to come. And Anita and Ekbert were there with us when we prayed in Minsk, and the Lord gave them a calling. And he spoke to them and said, I want you to sell your house. And you see, my friends, to go into the mission field to be sent always will cost you a price. He said, I want you to leave behind everything, pack your children and everything and go into such a foreign culture, learn the language. And so they went to Svetlagos, they rented an entire floor in an apartment, and morning, afternoon and night they prayed. And then the first drug addicts were set free, and Sergei was one of them. And today, he is the leader and pastor of the rehab work there and the church there. By now, we've planted a church there, the Church of Healing. And so everything begins with investment. And so there are many stories that are there. But everyone, everything that was raised up, all the ministries in the different countries, South America, actually, the Lord asked us whether we were willing to take our entire leadership team to Buenos Aires to pray there. And there we received, and especially Charlotte received the vision, and we, she literally physically heard the word transformadores, and she didn't know what it meant, she didn't speak any Spanish at the time. So we asked the Lord, what does that mean, transformadores? And so we asked, okay, yes, there is transformers, something is transformed. And then in her spirit, she saw uh, fire, flames of fire in each country of South America, and something was birthed, and the Lord started speaking about houses for children, and street children would be transformed there and changed by the love of God. And we've seen some of it here in the presentation. 
And so these were the beginnings. And every beginning always has something to do with people who are willing to be sent. We can't do that. We can only preach, we can motivate, motivate, mobilize. We can make room for what God wants to do. But those whom the Lord is actually asking, that's you and that's me. It always begins with a commissioning, ascending. The Lord says, whom shall I send? And in Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus went around to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and he healed all sicknesses. And when he saw the people, he had mercy on them because they were fearful and sheep without a shepherd. And so I think that's something we can see everywhere. Germany, France, Europe, South America, Belarus, they were full of fear, without sheep without a shepherd. And he spoke to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest fields. And when I heard this word for the first time, I actually heard it in connection with a different call. And the call was, God always has a plan A for your life. So this plan A is actually so wonderful and prepared by the Lord and it's actually worth investing everything uh, just to find out what this plan A of God is. And you know, God is always seeking people who will allow his heart to touch them. And the heart of God always is a compassionate heart, a heart of mercy for others. You know that Mercy or compassion overcomes judgment. And when the Lord touches people to be willing to be sent, that just would not be possible without Him talking to our hearts. And you know, God is sending us and God is always using people. And I would like to share this word. This is so important to me because whether that was 20 years ago, or today. Thank you so much for this big key that we received. I believe that today, tonight, right here, there are young people or even older people, it doesn't matter, but there are people here and the Lord has been waiting for you for a long time to send you. God has been waiting for you for such a long time to be able to send you into the harvest. And sometimes we actually are an obstacle to ourselves. I'm convinced, my friends, that right here in Germany we do need laborers in the harvest. People who will hear the cry of God. We need people who are church planters, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, people who are willing to go. We are living in a time when we are debating with the Lord and trying to kind of really plan our future until what time we'll be really secure enough to go, how, to what percentage we can reduce our job to have enough left for the kingdom of God. I mean, my friends, that's not bad, but to be sent is something really different. To be sent is to be set apart for God. Isaiah 6, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord crying out, Whom shall I send? Who will be our messenger? And I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. So whom shall I send? So the Lord is looking around and says, Whom can I send? 
Der Herr schaut sich um und sieht and the Lord euch. is looking around. He so sees you. I think it's so powerful to have so many of the missionaries coming for the 20th anniversary here. Whom can I send? Can I send you again? Romans 10, verse 14. But how can they call on him in whom they don't believe? And how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? But how can they hear without the message? And so, my friends, it doesn't matter where it is. God hears the cry. And that gets us back to Bartimaeus, to my message. You know, the story has always been like that. Bartimaeus is blind and he hears Jesus walking through Jericho. And Jesus is almost leaving Jericho and he starts crying out, he starts screaming. And every cry is this cry for God's mercy. And Berbel, you started telling the story a little bit. I asked Thomas and Lucia and Javi whether I could share the story and uh, they gave me permission because that story for me is so impressive. When I see Lucia, you know, I've shared the stories a few times. I still remember one service and we still had our services in our what's now our tabernacle. I actually, I'm still wondering whether I preach that same message. I'm not sure. But I was speaking on who is willing to be touched by God's mercy, by the burden of God for the street children. And I remember Thomas and Lucia especially came for forward because they had heard God's cry. They were hearing God's cry for mercy. And that was something like their commissioning, their calling. The Lord took Thomas, he was working as a physicist, and Lucia, she was a teacher, a teacher for special needs children. And the Lord took them, and he said, come. They had a house, and they said, come and leave your house. Take your family and go to Buenos Aires. And that is something, that's a real big step. And you can only do that if you're really sure and know that God has spoken. But that's what it's about when you are sent. To be sent means to be set apart. It's a complete change around in your life, complete transformation. We cannot remain in our career mindset and say, yes, Lord, send me. Of course, God can use us everywhere. But I'm talking about the laborers and the harvest. And then the Lord said, led them to Buenos Aires and they didn't even speak Spanish. And Reuben, he took care of them. He looked after them. And there, they just went to the street. They went to find the street children, the brokenhearted. And there was one family. They live under a bridge. They're complete in living in complete neglect. And they are going there with God's mercy. And the mother of that family brings them one of her children, if I understood the story correctly, and she brought the son just for four days. Thomas, Lucia, please take care of my son for four children. Well, of course, together with the authorities there and everything, but just for four days. And so for four days they took in this child and the mother disappeared forever. And this child became a son to Thomas and Lucia. They adopted him, and he's Javier. And we are so proud of you, Javier, that you're here together with Thomas and Lucia. Just stand all together, Javier.
Thomas, Lucia, yeah. just all stand together. Cool. That is so amazing, so wonderful. Thank you very much. And I'm sharing this story. God hears your cry. Even, even before we cried out to him. And so that's very unusual. And he says, who will go for us? And by now they've moved La on to La Paz. And La Paz is actually very different. You know, Evo Morales, the president there, he's a true idol worshiper. And once a year they have a big celebration on the high places. They sacrifice llamas together with uh, the government there and other animals. And actually in Bolivia, we have proof of that, they still do human sacrifice as well. So it's not easy to work there. And in La Paz, this is our highest tabernacle that we have. If you go there, it is beautiful. In God's presence, there's prayer there, and you have a vista of all of La Paz. You can see across Bolivia. And this very kind Bolivian lady over there with the bowler hat, that's Moni. She's also ministering in Bolivia. So give a big hand to Moni. The Lord started speaking about street children in Bolivia. And actually the capital of Bolivia is not La Paz, but it's actually Sucre. And the Lord led us there and he said, I want you to buy a former hotel. Something that's the best for the street children there. It's got a swimming pool and little apartments. And I don't know who the first children were there. Ruth was there. Um, well, I don't know who was the first team. Ruth was there because she's always first when we go there. And so the hotel in Sucre, which is one of our transformation houses now, and Moni has been there for how many years? She's uh, the leader there. She's a professional educator. She's from beautiful Switzerland. But by now you see she's gone native and local in Bolivia. She's doing wonderful ministry there. And the street children are transformed there. They're building church there. But how can that happen? And my friends, it happens when the Lord actually opens the eyes of blind hearts. Because so often we are captive to what we do and where we are stuck and what we earn and what we have to do. But what do we live for? And so this gets us to my third point. God is calling a generation of disciples into the harvest field. So at this time, once again, a generation of people who leave behind a life of compromise, who are willing to do the unusual for God, who don't actually live according to religious rituals, who don't want that, but who are willing to go who are willing to do the unusual. And this actually is something unusual. If you were to talk to Moni, if you are sent, you have to learn the language. You need at least three or four years to really be comfortable in moving in these countries. They are learning to live by faith. So there is no fixed salary anymore. But you know, to be called means I am willing to actually pay for it so I can serve the Lord. That's one hallmark of being called. 
And so they went to really focus points, points of need. They were attacked and threatened. And there wasn't the cute little street children with the kind, big brown eyes who waited. Oh, at last you're here. I've been waiting for you. But actually, as a reward, they were robbed. They were threatened with pistols. They were spat at. And then when things had kind of normalized and calmed down, then they had... Their children went away again. So it was a long and tedious path. And maybe there were some street children or drug addicts who found Jesus. And then they had to start fighting with the authorities. So it was a long and tedious path, many disappointments, at the same time dependent on the Lord. And that produced and brought forth the different branches of the ministry. Taking another view, uh, look at Belarus. There was a former school building, derelict. We saw the building. It was huge and ugly. It was really a communist concrete block. The heating system wasn't working anymore. Looking at those rooms, you needed a lot of vision. But then we went and we started renovating that school building, going from room to room, classroom to classroom. There wasn't any running warm water, no showers there. And you know, Belarusian winters are freezing. They needed to chop wood to heat the whole building. And then they transformed it into a rehab center. And the 200, 300 drug addicts who were set free from drugs permanently, they didn't live in a nice Swabian home or nice cottage, but there's a price that was paid. The families who saw God working miracles in the lives of drug addicts who also got saved, cell groups, and now we've got the Church of Healing there. Or to take a look at Tumen in Siberia. There was a team that was sent out from Belarus to Siberia and they're still working there. Two men in Siberian, the other side of the Ural Mountains, who went out and lived there. We could speak about so many stages of the story. Where's Olga now? Olga, where are you? I saw you just now. Olga, who was sent out from Belarus, she used to be a drug addict in Belarus. And what she did there was she sold vegetables on the market there. And that's actually a very unusual story. She was just without education, but God sent her to Greece from Belarus, a drug addict. Connected her to a Greek man, our Christos. And the Lord told her and said to her, I want you to go to Greece and to study ancient philology in Greek, in Greece. You know, a completely crazy market woman going to Greece to study Greek, to study in Greece in the language Greek. I mean, ancient philology, I wouldn't even study that in Germany. But she had to go to Greece to study it there. And the Lord anointed her, blessed her, and now she has studied philology successfully, completed her studies, and now ministers to drug addicts there. Isn't that a strange thing? Her husband, Christos, is best friend of Takis. Now, Takis, please stand. You look so beautiful. We want to see you. You are amazing. 
And Takis and Angie, they're also getting ready to go out to Greece to minister there. And may the time of preparation come to a close soon. Yes, but Christos was best friend of Takis and he got saved here in this church. I still remember very well. When we had the altar call, it was Elizabeth Surrey who did that. And very childlike, she asked, is there anyone here who would like to give their lives to Jesus? And I thought, nobody's ever going to get saved here. And then Christos said, I want to, and went forward. And his story, well, let him tell you the story. It's an amazing story, you know. Anyway, houses that were set up. In Jujuy, the ministry, for instance, Argentina, we could tell stories about each branch. Asuncion, Lina, Guayaquil, Manavi. They are building right now, they're building a new center. La Paz, Sucre, I hope I don't, ha don't forget anything. Thessaloniki, Ostrovchiti, Svetlagos, Tumen. Anything else I forgot? Hallelujah. And God is not using those who are perfect. Is that true? Not the perfect ones, not the top people. He's not using those who are such tremendous, perfect people who've got everything cleared out for them. And that's the message. God is using people who are not focused on themselves, who don't just look to their own needs, but those whom he can send. He's looking not for the able, but for the available. And that's a word to you. Can we have all full-time missionaries stand for a moment, please? All those of you who have gone to the nations, can you stand? And actually, I see Marie there as well. That's amazing. It's wonderful that you came. Did you know that Marie is the sister of Caro? Did you know that? Some maybe don't know that. But you see, Marie and Aaron are pillars and pastors in Ruben's church, together with Regina, their mother. And they have become that because Harold and Regine, Harold as a physical doc physician and Regine his wife, as a, as a whole family, they went to Lima to serve there. And now the children have taken the torch and they serve in the kingdom of God. That is so tremendous. Give the Lord a big hand for that. I am just so impressed. And the word I would like to give to you is, you are examples of faith. You are examples of faith. And I would like to ask Barbara, Barbara, wave at everyone, right? Barbara, when did you go to Belarus? In 1997. That's when Barbara went to Belarus. And without Barbara, the ministry there would not exist anymore because she was just there. She didn't just translate and pray, but she stood in the gap. So a big, big hand to Barbara. So all of you, you represent so many others who can't be here right now, but the Lord says you're examples of faith, 
You sowed. You received wounds. You were hurt, but you laid your lives on the altar. And you are marked. Marked by God. You have given your lives for drug addicts, street children, the lost. And I believe the Lord actually is asking you, please, do not go back. You are the examples of faith, and on your shoulders, new generations will be released. I would like to plant that in your spirit. On your shoulders, new generations will be brought forth for what you do. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Revelation 3, verse 11. Yes, do give them another hand. And yes, I am coming soon. Keep hold of what you have so no one will take away your crown. So now to take a look back at Bartimaeus so we can get on with our message. Matthew 10 verse 48. Many were shouting at Bartimaeus because he cries out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So God is calling a new generation of disciples into the harvest to serve. Disciples are those who follow Jesus, who follow after him. And now the disciples here, they actually wanted to shut up Bartimaeus because they did not want to do what was important to Jesus. It was embarrassing to have Bartimaeus crying out like that. It was just a pain in the neck. They didn't want to waste their time. They didn't want the need to touch them. They didn't want to serve. They did not have a servant spirit. And today we live in a time when so many believers in churches live just like the spirit of the age tells them to. And what is that? One mark of the spirit of the age is that we actually pretend that our own will is the will of God. So we are trying to walk in our own ways and then we give it a nice count of charismatic Christian paint and then hope the Lord would kind of be uh, happy with it. But actually, we do not live any different than the fathers, grandfathers and great-grandfathers. We plan our own way. You know, there's a difference whether we plan our future with God or whether we are living under the authority and rule of the living God. We can plan our future with God and then we've got our jobs that are very, very important, the things we have to do. But actually, we forget about what God really wants. Mark 9, verse 35. And he sat down and called the disciples and told them, if anyone wants to be first, let him be the last and the servant of all. So Jesus started teaching them, you have to serve. And so this generation, they could tell so much, many stories about servanthood, willingness to go and to serve. Because, my friends, if you go to another nation, there's not just lots of people and angels who are waiting with palm branches, crying out, anointing, anointing, and you just fly in and you see the fruit in your hand. That's not what's happening. <laughs> no, you have to start serving. And if you've, unless you've learned it here, you will not be able to do it there. 
Jünger. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples. Markus 10, 43. So you are not to be like that. Anyone who wants to be great among you is to be the servant of all. So just begin. And he says nothing else but what actually he lived himself. So because in Philippians 2, verse 7, we see he made himself nothing, taking the appearance of a servant, the, the form of man. He took the shape of a servant. Or Paul in Romans 1, verse 1, says, Paul, a servant of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart, to preach. So set apart, that's important. There is a calling, my friends, and you are set apart. So that's not just something nice and pleasant. But it's of God. People can know and recognize you. You're somehow strange. You're strange. What? You don't get a, a salary in, as a missionary? No, you can't live like that. You live by faith. Well, who is going to live by faith now? That can't be true. What? You really believe the Lord will use you among street children to really transform their lives? Set apart by God. And actually, that's true here in Germany as well. God is calling pastors, preachers of the gospel church planters, people who are willing to be set apart. We are all called into his kingdom, sure. But there is a call. And then you are marked. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. Because we know how it was for servants at the time, bond servants. Many have spoken about this. Just to, to remind you, when Paul says, I am a bondservant of Christ, he speaks as a child of his time. And the bondservants at the time, these were the slaves that were actually set free. They could have left their masters, but there were many slaves who, out of their own decision, decided to remain with their masters. And they became bondservants. And they were marked. They were pierced in their earlobes. It was a bit more cruel than today. They took a wooden, uh, a wooden spike and, and they stood them by a doorpost and nailed them to the doorpost. Of course, they pulled out the spike afterwards, but that's what happened. Someone who's set apart is marked by God, marked to serve, marked because everything is focused on serving the living God. Everything is focused to expect everything from Him alone. And that's what Paul says. I prefer being marked as a bondservant and set apart. So who do you want to live for? Are you someone like that? And the Lord can call you? Are you someone like that? It is burning in your heart? Sometimes we've got strange ideas about God's calling. Three angels come, they cry out, holy, 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 and then they pour out gold over you, and then you wake up, and that sort of thing. Like with Cinderella. But that's not really what's happening, right? But you know what's an unmistakable, sure mark 
Something that I carried in my own heart. One mark was I got saved, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and within me there was one thing, please, Lord, take me, I want to serve me, no matter what it means. And then it was the question, what kind of job will I do, what training, and what to study. My father was a dentist, and of course that would have been a an option, but I said, Lord, I don't care, just take me. Please, can I serve you? That's a mark of being set apart, of being called by God. And that begins very, very small. Serving always begins small at home, in the church, to people around you. Because if you've not learned it there, how do you want to do it when the Lord is calling you to the harvest? So God is calling a new generation of disciples into the harvest. Leave behind your prosperity, Christianity, the beautiful facades, the nice plans. Get out of your mentality of what's in it for me into a mentality, Lord, how can I give you more? That takes us to the fourth point. They came to Jericho, and when he left Jericho, he, his disciples, and a large crowd, there was a beggar sitting by the roadside. So Jericho is the place of battle. We know that Joshua walked around, marched around the walls, and they fell down. A place of worship and obedience, and also the place of the greatest miracles of God. But I tell you, it wasn't just a tiny little wall that was coming down, but a, a huge wall. Yeah, it was. Jericho is the place of 100%. No matter how difficult it is, I will push through. And each one of the missionaries, each one who's been called, can tell you about crises they had to go through. The yes, here I am, Lord, I won't let you go unless you bless me. So each one of those stories... I still remember how the Lord led us to Jujuy in northern Argentina. That was our first missionary school in another country, and I'm so grateful that some of the students are still here as missionaries. Moni was one of those students. Yvonne is here, she was there, Annette was there, who else was there? And we went there and we were quite wild. We told the students there, Sabine, you were also there. We told them, hey, people, maybe you only get a one-way ticket to get here. If the Lord is calling you, you might end up staying here right away. Because we saw that with the Moravians, that's how they did it. And if it worked for the Moravians, we'll try it as well. We'll just go there. And then we spent a few weeks there. We taught and sought God. And also the Lord started speaking about Jujuy there. There was a slum area there, Punta Diamante. And this was this area area was flooded on a regular basis and the, the houses were just made of cinder blocks and there were rats there and you could actually not go there even the police refused to go and then the Lord spoke to Charlotte and myself we went through and he said I want you to build a daycare center there and this house is there until this day and that was the point of calling and then the Lord spoke and then the question was but I want to go to this country and that country and we said hey listen with the Moravians, it was really different. If you're willing to be sent, you are just sent. It doesn't matter where. Thank you so much that you put up with this. We still love you for it. It worked out. Thank you. Praise the Lord. And then the Lord started building the work in Jujuy, but also in Paraguay and many other cities and nations as well. 
war bei einer Konferenz eingeladen. I was invited to speak at a conference in Lima together with Carlos Jimenez. That was one of my most depressing times. I was so frustrated inside. And the Lord started speaking to me about the poison of discouragement. And like from one moment to the next, he took away this discouragement from me. And we were driving through Lima, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want to give you buildings, and I want you to gather street children there. And that was the beginning of the ministry in Lima. And today, Ruben and Fabi together, they're doing wonderful ministry. It was Katya's birthday yesterday. She turned 14. Blessings if you're watching. So give a big hand to Ruben as well. And so, this is what happens when people cry out to him. So that's my main message of this sermon. When people cry out to God, he always sends an answer. So Bartimaeus was crying out, and Jesus stopped. And each one of you, and each one of us actually, is an answer, actually to the cry of people when we are willing to go. Wherever people are crying out to him, God is sending people. And I tell you, we know that by now, even from our own lives. The cry can be hidden behind nice and beautiful facades. If we take a look at the suicide rate in Germany, there is no one who can really use a train in rest of mind because everyone who's using trains on a regular basis, they know that trains have to stop every now and then because just people throw themselves on the ro uh, railroad tracks. There are people who are depressed, people who are living in broken relationships, children from patchwork families without father or mother. They're growing up, they're frustrated. People who just pass them by wherever. That's not just in South America or Belarus. Not just in Siberia or Greece, but you can find that everywhere. And the Lord is sending his answer, and I want to be his answer. As far as possible, we want to be his answer. I say, Lord, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to stand before you afterwards and tell you how much I invested to get a larger bank account. That'd be really embarrassing. I don't want to have to stand before you and then have to argue with you why I invested so much to get 10 days off work more per year. Lord, I want to stand before you and want to tell you that my life really made sense. It produced fruit, that I made my life count. And you know, the Lord does not measure us according to our achievements, but he just measures whether we lay our lives down for him or not. And Jesus stops, and Bartimaeus is running towards him, throws away his old cloak. That cloak represents his own securities, but it also represents sin. And sin is not just the things we do, but it's our resistance against the living God, our clenched fists so many times. Sometimes our courting sin, or the sin we got used to, our rebellion against God. God, you're not treating me the way I wanted to. Oh, well, that's actually just the way he is. He even said in his word, your thoughts are not my thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. 
That's God. Ich habe einen guten Satz. But I heard something really good from Steve Hill. If you are wallowing in the mud and enjoy the fruits of sin, Jesus will walk past you. Das sage ich mir auch. Wow, and I tell that to myself. I don't want to wallow in the mud of sin. But if you come to Jesus, we throw off our old coat. It's a coat of our own protection and securities, but also the mantle or the coat of also sin. And now that gets us to the last point and then we can pray. What happens when we come to him? And I believe we actually should come to him today. We should come to the one who's the initiator. We have worshipped him and he is worthy. His name is high above all other names. His name is Jesus. Bartimaeus threw off his old cloak and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Wow. You see, the seeing is not just physical, but for our eyes to see God's mercy, that we can receive God's mercy, that we can weep when we receive his pain and we feel his pain. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So when you come to Jesus, when we come to him, we bring him the most important points. First point, of course, is our heart. And maybe it's the same for you as it was for us then. The Lord said, you are so focused on yourselves. Even in our religious duties here, you are so focused on yourself. My mercy just cannot touch you. And then we bring him our heart and we say, Lord, we are so sorry. Here's my heart. I submit it. I surrender it to you. I lift it up before you. Colossians 2.14 He cancelled the written code that was against us and he nailed it to the cross. And as soon as we come to him like this, he comes and pours out his love, his mercy, his compassion, his passion, his vision of what he wants to do, his plans. Plan A for your and my life. The second thing we bring to him is, of course, our lives. Of course, when I understand that my life is the only answer that counts for the lost, the only answer for people, who are in need, who are brokenhearted, who cry out to him. The Lord is asking me whether I'm actually willing to be sent, whether I'm willing to be a servant, that I stop serving myself but become a true servant. God's answer are people who are willing to go wherever the Lord's calling them to. And the only one who can stand in God's way to answer the cry of people is the one who's not going. So the Lord says, throw off this old cloak and run to him. Third point is, what, what do we lift up before him? Our own ways, our own walk of life. And we see immediately he became seeing. And it says then, it doesn't say he went back home, but it said he followed him along the road. 
And so everything might be very well ordered in your life or my life. It doesn't matter what position you have, whether you've got a family. There is always something that you cannot preview. There's always the idea of, oh, it doesn't work. And the Lord says, oh, yes, it is possible. If I send you, it's possible. There's always points when, because of which it can't be done. Every single one of our friends here whom the Lord has sent, oh, yes, it was possible. Because they said, here I am, Lord, send me. I can see Elisabeth Polifka here. She's a psychologist. And God actually called her out and led her and planted her into the ministry in Lima. She was there for many, many years. And she's serving there and now she's going to transition into the ministry in America, the prayer ministry. And sometimes we think, oh, my job is so important. My PhD, my whatever. No, no, no. It is good to do the things, but it's what's more important is, can the Lord ask you for it? Are you willing to truly make your life count to be set apart by God? Will you allow him to call you? God has got plan A for your life. And I'm closing here and then we can pray. Isaiah 6 verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom can I send? Who shall be our messenger? And I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. This is how it all began. A service that we preached on this word and two young people in their early 20s, we were engaged. We were standing next to each other and somebody else preached on this and the Lord spoke to us and said, whom shall I send? And God spoke to Charlotte, are you willing to go? And she said, Lord, here I am. And the Lord spoke to me. And in me, immediately you had the question, Lord, you're wrong. You, you probably want to talk to someone else. We went to someone and, and that person prayed over us and, and declared that over our lives. And then maybe you are like that and you're sitting here and it's been a long time and the Lord has already entrusted nations to you. The Lord has planned for hundreds of street children to be saved and transformed through your life. For a long time, the Lord has chosen you to go to Belarus to raise the banner of his healing. Maybe the Lord has planned to make you a pastor here in Germany. My friends, we need pastors in Germany. We need those who proclaim the word of God. We need church planters. We need people who are willing to go, who don't first of all ha ask how much they will earn, but they will ask for fruit and ask the Lord, where will you lead me? What is the focus point where you want to have me? And we'll pray together in a moment. And maybe you're here and you don't even know Jesus yet. And I'm calling you, come running to Jesus. And the only thing you have to do is to lay down your old mantle of your old life and come to Jesus and say, Lord, here I am. But I also would like to pray for you missionaries. And I've got a word for you, Isaiah 44, verse 20. It says, those who guard the ashes are deceived by their own heart. And we are sometimes like people guarding the ashes in our own heart. 
So that's quite bad advice. Burnt ground. Some the things that were not good. You know, there were things in our lives that became ashes. There was fire that used to burn, and somehow the fire burned down and got lower and lower and became ashes. And so we are really stupid if we feed on these ashes. But we are actually feeding on ashes. And what happens is we can't save our lives like that. So these ashes, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to blow into that and blow them away so new things can grow. And people whom the Lord has called and set apart, they also carry the ashes, right? It's true. Because every human being carries the ashes in some way. But our hearts are not to be filled with ashes, but full of life and fruit. We want to have fruitful ground. And the Lord wants to sow a new seed there. Tonight is a night where the Lord is sowing a new seed into your ground. Are you ready? So let's all stand and pray together.